Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about why runners should not look for a cure through a clouded lens. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. Do not look for a cure through a clouded lens. Every runner who gets an overtraining injury wants to get back to running and wants to get back to training as quickly as possible. And we start searching everywhere for the very best treatment. We look for evidence. We want research papers. We want to find a proven solution. We also want science and clinical research, which will back up our decision to help us believe we have made the very best choice when we finally decide on a treatment for that injury. Just to be clear, and before I get too far into this, I want you to understand I believe in the scientific method. I believe in testing treatment options. I believe in evaluating what has happened to patients given certain treatments and reporting those findings to our colleagues through peer-reviewed medical literature and research studies. I believe in research. I'm absolutely convinced that if the study or clinical trial shows a high likelihood you'll have some kind of adverse event like a heart attack or a stroke when you take a medication, you probably should not take that medication. Clinical research can show you very clearly what you should not do. Clinical research, however, does not always show you so clearly what you should do. And that is where things start to get cloudy. I myself have done lots of research. I've published dozens of articles, abstracts, and medical books. I've won multiple. I myself have done lots of research. I've published dozens of articles, abstracts, and chapters in medical books. I've won multiple awards from the American College of Foot and Ankle Surgeons and the American Podiatric Medical Association. And all those awards were researched specifically for research studies related to sports medicine or foot and ankle surgery, which I conducted and published. Now, I've also served as a peer reviewer for medical journals, including the Foot and Ankle Review and the Journal of the American Podiatric Medical Association and the Journal of Foot and Ankle Surgery. I am also currently on the board of advisors for the International Foot and Ankle Foundation. Before you decide to send me some sort of hate mail saying I'm just bragging, that's not at all the case. I only say this because what I'm about to tell you will make you think that I don't believe in research at all. When I was in medical school, a prominent researcher named David Armstrong came to give a talk at our medical school. During his lecture on the importance of clinical trials and medical research, he had a slide on the screen I will never forget. It said, Statistics are a lot like swimwear. What they reveal is interesting, but what they conceal is essential. When I was in medical school, I had this idea of doing a large-scale study about the causes and association of lower extremity injuries, meaning foot and ankle injuries, among rock climbers. Specifically, I just wanted to try to figure out what kind of foot and ankle injuries rock climbers were getting when they were doing certain kinds of climbing, like traditional rock climbing versus bouldering versus big wall climbing versus ice climbing and mountaineering. Seems simple, right? You have an idea, you have a question, and you want answers. You should just start doing some research, right? Not exactly. If you don't work in medicine, you might be surprised to find out you actually have to have permission to conduct medical research. 
of course, just asking some questions about what happened when somebody got injured doesn't really seem like medical research necessarily. But believe it or not, you have to really consider whether, you know, if if somebody got injured and you ask them questions, if it might be traumatic to them reliving that experience and all that sort of stuff. For that reason, you have to get approval from the Institutional Review Board of the medical facility or medical school where you work. And the role of the Institutional Review Board is basically to make sure that some overly zealous medical student or doctor conforms to certain standards and doesn't do anything that's unethical or might potentially harm people. Anyway, I designed this rock climbing study and then I wrote a proposal to attempt to get approval to conduct the research. I submitted my application to the Institutional Review Board of the Medical School. After meeting with a few advisors, I got the study approved. Then I wrote a grant proposal and I sent it to the American Alpine Club. The American Alpine Club, they either saw merit in the study or they saw pity on me and they agreed to fund the study. So I did the study and I collected a huge amount of data. The following year, I started my foot and ankle surgery residency program at the University of Utah. I went to the university. I met with a professor of statistics. I explained to him I had compiled all this data and I wanted to write up the results and publish it. And then he asked me a question which actually stunned me. He asked, what exactly do you want the statistics to show? Well, I was confused. And so I answered, well, I just want to show that my findings have statistical significance, you know, that, uh, that this stuff's true. He then explained to me that depending upon what particular statistical analysis we chose to run on the data, it would greatly influence the actual results and statistical significance of the findings. Being a mathematical neophyte, I was extremely confused by this. The statistician then took my spreadsheet, he uploaded it into a program in his computer, and then showed me exactly what he was talking about. And he was right. Running a different type of statistical analysis on the data would yield different results. But if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, so what? One plus one equals two. Well, it doesn't really work that way in research when you run a statistical analysis. And how does any of this really apply to medical research and the studies we actually read and, you know, when we start researching certain treatments? Well, here's how. Believe it or not, with one of the studies where I actually won an award, I submitted the research as a complete research paper for publication in a prominent medical journal. Well, I figured this is a slam dunk. I mean, I won an award, you know, it was cool research, all that sort of stuff. Then I received a letter from the editor of the journal, which explained that some of my findings could be politically inflammatory. Well, if you listen to my podcast, you really probably don't think I care much if I'm politically inflammatory or not, and you would be right about that. But the editor stated that I needed to rework the statistics to obscure that finding before the paper could be considered for publication in the journal. The editor was actually asking me to hide the evidence using math. Well, in case you're wondering what happened, I said, no. The important point here is that manipulation of data happens all the time, and manipulated data is what gets published in many medical journals. And then we're supposed to make decisions on treatments based on research we read and believe in and take as fact. Don't ever forget, also, clinical trials and medical research is extremely expensive. Somebody has to pay for it. Doctors don't pay for it. Patients don't pay for it. Who do you think pays for it? Well, the people who pay for medical research are generally the companies who are trying to sell the newest pill or the shiniest new medical device, and they want approval. There was another research project I started when I was in residency regarding platelet-rich plasma injections or PRP injections. And this was more than 15 years ago when PRP treatments were relatively new. 
I wanted to do research to see whether or not PRP treatments actually alter the course of healing and soft tissue uh, like tendons and ligaments or in certain surgeries on the foot and ankle like when you have a broken bone or you have bone surgery. Well, I spent about a year writing up that research, presenting it to the Institutional Review Board and trying to get approval to do clinical trials with a relatively new treatment on live human beings. It may not surprise you to hear the review process took a long time. After about a year of back and forth, I finally received approval from the Institutional Review Board to begin the clinical trial on PRP at a VA hospital. Then I received a letter from the legal department of the company that manufactured the PRP separation equipment. It was a medical device company. The contract they sent said that the only way they would contribute the centrifuge and the sterile kits to assist in the study would be if they had complete and total power to block publication of the study findings if those study findings were not favorable to them. Translation, if we don't like what you find in your study, we are not going to let you publicize it. Obviously, you, as a patient, as a runner, who might have an overtraining injury and who wants to get better, well, you would want to know if some treatment doesn't work. And you would think all researchers and the companies working on those research projects would have an ethical and moral obligation to present and publish all of the research findings. But in practice, that is just not what happens. Right when I graduated from medical school, I would read research studies. and I would often make decisions based almost exclusively on whether or not the studies seemed to show clear evidence that some certain treatment would work for a given condition. Today, I really and truly believe that relying too heavily on published research can put you at risk although I do think all doctors have a responsibility to read current research and make sure they understand the current trends in medicine, it isn't a simple algorithm. Any algorithm built on inputs that are flawed must be flawed in its outputs. Today, I believe it is most important to combine scientific method, scientific evidence, and the intuition of an experienced medical practitioner. Truth be told, even though I have done so much work in research, if the day ever came or I had to make a choice between an older, extremely experienced and intuitive doctor versus all of the published research available in Medline, I would go with the former. When you get an overtraining injury and you really are struggling to figure out what is the next most effective best step in your recovery, you have to find a solution. You should read lots of studies. You should look for lots of stuff online. You just have to make sure you're not looking for it through a clouded lens. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And listen, if you enjoy this, I want to ask you to do a huge favor for me. Please share it with one of your friends. Send it to somebody who's a runner who you think can benefit from the podcast so that they can keep running as well without injury. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.